And the title of the message is, Remember, Choose Life. This is not a a pro-life message, although I'm very pro-life, meaning anti-abortion. This is life for you. I want you to have life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to enjoy life to the full. I want you to enjoy life the way that God has created you to enjoy life. Now, let me be clear, this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel message. I am not in any way trying to minimize the fact that in this life we're going to have suffering. It's a part of our existence. As sparks fly upward, we're born for adversity. Life is, is full of suffering. But Jesus says, and we'll see this in a minute, I've come that you might have abundant life. I want you to have it to the full. And those of us who are born again, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the capability to live life to its fullest, according to the Word and the will of God. So as you look out at it, 2024, what comes to mind, right? What, what, what comes to your mind besides, okay, do I need to make New Year's resolutions, or should I not make New Year's resolutions? How should I handle this transition in life? And really, it's just a date on the calendar. The calendar just marks the linear progression of time. It's another day. But culturally, we are conditioned to look forward to another 365 days. Some of you may be looking at the next year with despair. You know the circumstances of your life. You know what God has for you now. And you're a little bit scared about what God has for you. You know how many times you have struggled and fought against certain sins in your life. And you look at 224 with despair concerning that sin. Perhaps you've made resolutions year after year for the same things. And you have not in any way, shape, or form lived out those resolutions. And so you look out with despair. Perhaps you look at 224 with anxiety. That the PowerPoint's not going forward too fast. With anxiety, that you think about the circumstances around you, you think about the things that have happened, you think about the things that might happen, you look at the world events, you look at Israel, you look at Ukraine, you look at politics in the United States, and you go, I'm just a little bit anxious. And then you get your check, your banking statement in the mail, and you're like, I'm even more anxious than I was two minutes ago. 2024 is not looking good. When I go to buy milk, it's still three times as expensive as it was 10 years ago. You have anxiety. But if you're like me, the glass is always half full. You look out at the world and you have hope. You have hope that this next year is going to be better, right? Hope springs eternal. Hope in what will happen. Hope in what can happen. I'm going to make resolutions. I'm going to keep resolutions. I may not have I may not have kept those resolutions before, but I'm going to keep those resolutions this year. I'm going to do a better job. I'm looking forward to God doing great and amazing things according to His will. He said, if I pray according to His will, then He's going to answer my prayers. I have hope that tomorrow will be better than today. I have hope that I can overcome this sin struggle. I have hope that even though I am one person with limited abilities, that I can make a change in the world for the cause of Christ. I have hope in that. So as you look out at 2024, what do you see? What do you see? I want you to see this morning, I want you to see life. I want you to have life. 
Now, what kind of life is that? Is that the good life? All right, I want to live the good life. Back in the early 2000s, these t-shirts came out, life is good. Back in 1997, these two brothers, the Jacob's brothers, started with $75, the t-shirt press, and a minivan, and they went around and they were selling t-shirts, and they were complete failures at it. And they came back and they started talking about their failures, and they started looking at the t-shirts they've been selling. The one that stuck out in their mind was this stick figure guy that was always smiling. And so from 1997 to 2009, they went from $75 in their pocket to being worth $100 million. Life was good for them, right? (laughs) The American dream is that life. Well, I would like to assert that the life that I want you to have, the the, the good life that Scripture wants you to have, is the godly or right enjoyment of all that God has created. The godly or right enjoyment of these things. You might want to compare it to peace, that God wants you to have a life of peace, a life of shalom, a life of wellness, wholeness, prosperity, thriving, harmony, welfare, and tranquility. All those things sound good, don't they? Would you like 2024 to look like that? And again, I'm not selling a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm not saying your bank account's going to be full if you live according to these principles that you won't have any suffering in this world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the midst of the circumstances that may seem difficult and overwhelming, you can have life, and the world around you will go, wow, look at that person. So as we consider life, I want to turn our minds to a passage in Deuteronomy, chapters 27 through 30. We're going to read an extended portion of Scripture, and then I'm going to give us five lessons for life as we head into 2024. Now, this is Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. You can see that it's written up there, right? And right in the middle of there, the valley is called Shechem. It's a pretty important place. When Abraham ventured into the promised land, Shechem was the place where he set up an altar, where God confirmed the covenant there in Genesis chapter 12. It's also the place where Jacob's bones are resting, or were resting. And so the context here is the nation of Israel is gathering around their leader, Moses, and he is giving them principles for life. He wants them to choose life. If you know anything about the history of God's people, the Israelites, they were enslaved in Egypt for 430-some years, and God sent Moses into Egypt to set his people free, and through a series of fantastic, incredible, supernatural events, the plagues and everything that happened, God released his people from Egypt. When they left, they had to go through the Red Sea. They, the nation, a few million people, got backed up to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was attacking them. God opened up the Red Sea. He, he gave them dry land, and they w- went through the Red Sea on the dry land to the other side. The, the Egyptian army followed them, and God destroyed them, but he saved his people. That was the birth of the nation, born out of water. This was their deliverance moment. This was their salvation moment. That moment in history that they will always look back to is, that was the moment When God gave birth to us, that was our salvation. That was our deliverance. 
Well, after God delivered them, he wanted to lead them into the promised land, but they were a little bit fearful of the people that were there, and they didn't believe in God and what God would do leading them into the promised land. So they had to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And so it's been 40 years since they'd been delivered from Egypt, and they're in this area called Moab, a desert east of, uh, east of the Jordan River, east of what we now know is, is Israel. And Moses is saying, here is the law. He's giving them the law again. They had received it earlier at Mount Sinai, but Moses is repeating the law. He's giving them the commandments of God. He's, this is how you can have life. Remember this. Choose life. And so we're going to look at five lessons for life from Deuteronomy 27 through 30. Now, I'm not going to have all of the text there, but there'll be an extensive amount of text. So this is the context, the setting. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commands that I give you today. We have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord is giving you. Set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So they're to build an altar there, and and they're going to have this monument of stones with plaster on it so they could write out on the plaster the law of God so that they could remember God was commanding them. Verse 4, and when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I commanded you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use an iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones, and offer, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. God wanted to remind them, I gave you words of life, words for life, and for 40 years you seemed to forget them. And many of you died in the wilderness. Now you're going to enter into the promised land. There are people there who worship other gods, lead you astray. They're going to lead you away from the life that I want for you. They're going to show you things that look shiny and sparkly, but they're going to lead Follow my commands and write these commands on these stones here, on this plaster, so that you can come back and look at it and remember that I've promised to give you life. Well, after they did this, God said, look, if you obey these commands, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And then we'll see if you disobey these commands, then you'll be cursed. If you fully obey the commands, obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And, and I, I didn't put them out there, okay, on the screen, but all these blessings are enumerated for us. Well, guess what? He lists twice as many curses as he does blessings. He's trying to solidify in their mind, look, it's going to be bad for you if you don't obey the commands that I give you. Not because God was trying to punish them unnecessarily, saying, look, I'm offering you life. Just obey what I've given you. And if you don't follow the commands I've given you, then it will be hard for you. And these are the things that are going to He warns them as, as a good God would. If, however, 
You did not obey the Lord your God. You did not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I am giving you today. All these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then he, again, enumerates all the curses. Well, then we jump up to chapter 30, or chapter 29, and 30. And chapter 29 is kind of a, after he's given the commands, the blessings, and the curses, okay, he says, look, again, I want to reiterate what I've done for you, what I expect of you, and what will happen if you don't obey. These are the terms of the covenant, of the promise the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb, or Mount Sinai. Okay. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw the great trials, those signs, and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that here, even though they had seen, listen to this important, even though they had seen these incredible miracles happen, including parting of the Red Sea, they could not fully understand or grasp all that God had done or the significance of what he had done because God had to open their heart up and give them faith to understand that. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reach this place, Moab, Sihon, king of Heshbon, Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us. But we defeated them. We took their land and we gave it, we we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So in light of what has happened, all that has done, the great miracles that have been worked, the fact that you beat an army twice as big as you, twice as big as you, more, uh, with more power than you, look, I did this for you. Now carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children, your wives, and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant that the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm to you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you, as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oaths, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who aren't here today, those who will come in the future. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt, how we passed through the countries on their way there, on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, silver and gold. Make sure that there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When a person hears the words of this oath, they invoke a blessing on this. I'm sorry. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry land. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them 
and the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, which the Lord God overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce burning and anger? And the answer will be, because the people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them, gods that they did not know, gods he had not given them. Therefore the Lord's anger burned against the land, so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land. As in now, he's referring to the captivity. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Chapter 30. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and take come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land other than the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will Is that where we were? I think so, yeah. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than all your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your lands. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what I'm commanding today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven and get it and proclaim to us that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. You've heard it today. You're sitting in this room. You've heard the word of God so that you may obey it. So, see, today I set before you life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command to you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, his decrees and laws, 
Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heavens and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the end. That's a lot, isn't it? Even with a little break. But you can see throughout there the consistent, follow my commands, follow my commands. Don't worship other gods. Love me. Follow me. Listen to me. I will give you life. That is what you want. You want life. I will give that to you. You just have to follow my commands. So I have five lessons for life taken from this passage. As you look at 2024 and consider your life, perhaps you can incorporate these into your existence. Now, when we look at that passage, Deuteronomy, God's writing to a specific nation at a specific time, the children of Israel. He made a specific covenant with the children of Israel. Now, we're not under these curses that God spoke of. Specifically, the blessings that are mentioned are mentioned for the people at a time, but those blessings can be extended to us today in certain aspects, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. So life lesson number one, life can only be realized through the new birth. If you want this life that God is talking about, there has to be a dramatic change in your life. There has to be a radical rearrangement of priorities and loves within your your affections have to be changed. You need a new heart. You need the new birth. And as we looked at this text, the very beginning, Moses says, remember, remember that moment that God gave birth to you as a nation. Remember that moment of deliverance. Remember that moment of salvation. When God gave life to a people who once did not have life. He's in the text there, in chapter 29, he says, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt. They remembered. It was close enough to them historically where they remembered. And if you read throughout the Old Testament, the historical books, the poetic books, the prophetic books, the moment that God claimed his people out of Egypt, that he delivered them, he saved them. That is a hallmark moment. That is a watershed moment. That is the moment that the people always thought back to, the moment of deliverance, the moment of salvation. And so my question to you this morning is, you seek for life in 2024, have you been born again? Because the life that God offers here only begins as you have life through the new birth. Now, throughout this text that we looked at, There were lots of commands to be obeyed, right? And I didn't list all the commands. It could be overwhelming, right? When people look at the Bible, they think of, here's this big book, all these rules, don't do this, do do this, no fun, blah, it's just trying to kill my joy. And it's overwhelming. I can't possibly keep all those commands. The law that was given to the children of Israel was not meant to give them the type of life that I'm talking about right now, eternal life. The law given 
was to govern the nation as a people, to guide them in their day-to-day activities, but it was also specifically the Ten Commandments to show them how dead they were in their sin and how much they needed spiritual life that only God could give. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, mentions this letter, and this letter that he's speaking of is all the commands, specifically the commands of Moses given to him by God. So life through the new birth does not come by obeying a list of rules. I have this conversation often when I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody, when I'm trying to tell somebody about the love of God and Christ, that God loves them, that he wants them to have a new life in Christ, that his son died on the cross for them, he rose from the dead to give them a hope of eternal life. And I'll ask them, why would God let you into heaven if you died right now? And they would say, you know, I try to do what's right. I try to do what the commandments say. I'm like, no, that's not right. That's not why God would let you in heaven. He would let you in heaven only if you're placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And so Paul is talking about this ministry that's not about commands, this ministry that's about the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. So Paul says, he has made us competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, all those commandments, but of the Spirit of God. For the letter kills. You're under condemnation by the law. The law only leads you to death. The Spirit gives life. So life through the new birth does not come by obeying a list of rules. Rather, through Spirit-given faith in Christ Jesus, your only hope of salvation. We're under the new covenant now. What I read to you in Deuteronomy was the old covenant. We're under the new covenant now. This new covenant is not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that's what the world needs. That's what the world is searching for. That's what the world is hungry and thirsty for, is life. And we have the message of life. The world thinks, if you look at it, the world, the world works on this cosmic scale of good and bad, and how have I done good or have I done bad? Am, am I following the commands or am I not following commands? That's not the path to the life that I'm talking about. There is a path that seems right to a person. There is a way that seems right to a person, but that end leads to death. Now, you could look at that two ways. One is, how can I be right with God? Through the commands? No, that's the way that leads to death. Through the Spirit, that's the way that leads to life. But you can also look at it as the way that appears to be right is, I'm seeking for life in the things of this world, the things that are passing, the things that will be destroyed, the things that offer satisfaction temporarily, but in the end leave you wanting. Again, in my experience as trying to direct people towards life in Christ, people like their sin. Listen to me. People like their sin. They don't want to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. They would rather sin and risk eternal separation from God in hell than to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I know because that's where I was when I was 19. There was a way that seemed right to me, but the end was leading to death. But Jesus came... He came with words of life, right? Peter was having this exchange with Jesus after everybody basically had abandoned Jesus. 
Jesus says, are you guys going to leave me too? Are you guys going to walk off? And Peter says, no, you have the words of life. You, Jesus, alone have the very words of life because you are the Holy One of God and we have come to believe you. And later Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus isn't leading us into this life of of rule-keeping, this lifeless. He's leading you into a path of joy. David said this, he said, You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So to have the life that God wants you to have, you have to have new birth. You have to have new life in Christ. You have to be born again. So have you been born again? Because you cannot experience the life that God wants for you unless you've been born again. It's not about rule keeping. It's about coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. And that path ultimately leads to what David describes for us here in the presence of God with eternal pleasures forevermore. Secondly, life grows as you obey the commands of God, right? This new birth isn't through commands. This life that God wants you to have isn't through commands, but this life that God wants you to have grows as you obey the commands of God. If you look at the text, right, and I put it in red, I put quite a few things in red, but really I try to focus on this. All the times that Moses says, hey, keep the commands of God. Now, when God asks you to keep his commands, he, again, I say this often, he is not an overbearing cosmic ogre trying to be a control freak in your life. No, God created you. He knows how you function best. And his commands are here. Here's how you can have the best possible life now and into eternity if you obey these commands. It may not seem that way. It may not make sense to you. And friends, you have a sin nature that distorts the commands of God in your mind, that makes you hostile towards them. So you can't in your mind possibly think, well, you you can't. It's difficult for you to understand how the commands of God can be for your good, how the commands of God can eventuate in the best life that God wants for you. So this life grows as you obey the commands of God. And that passage that I I read, I mean, all these places, uh, 27.1, keep these commands. 28.1, 28.1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands. 29.9, carefully follow the terms of this covenant or the commands. 29.29, we may follow the words of his law. Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse 2, when you and your children return to the Lord and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's only a few of the places where Moses pleads with the people to obey the commands of God. This life that's given to you in the new birth grows as you obey the commands of God. Abundant life is realized through loving, grateful obedience to the commands of Christ. As you look at the Bible, you see all these commands. It's overwhelming to you. How can I possibly do all this? It seems burdensome. It seems too much to bear. Thankfully, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
These commands that God has given us so that we can have the life that he wants us to have in Christ is not burdensome. Jesus reduces 600 plus commands to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. The command is love. Jesus does not give us commands so that we have a boring, humdrum life of, oh, I'm a Christian now, so I can't have any fun. Uh, what am I going to do today? I guess I'll obey the commands of God, even though I don't feel like it. That's not the Christian life. Please. That is not what God has for you. If that is, then I'm checking out, man. Eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. No. Jesus gives us commands so that we can have life that he wants us to have, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief says, live life to its fullest. Have this, have that, do this, that. Even though God says don't do it, do it anyway because, look, it's going to bring you joy and happiness. The thief comes to destroy your life. In the nursing home, I see this all the time. Two weeks ago, Chris and I evaluated this young man. He addicted to cocaine. Cocaine what? You get this immediate high, you have all this fun, and then you bottom out, and you're addicted to it day after day. Daily use of cocaine. He's 40 years old, and his heart is blown out. He can hardly walk down a hallway. The devil said, yeah, it looks good. It's going to make you feel good. You're going to have a good life. Why shouldn't you have this? This is so much fun. And now he's 40 years old and he cannot even walk down a hallway. Literally, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus says, look, I've come that you may have abundant life, life to the full. And so in the text we looked at, right, this day I call heavens and the earth as witness against you. I have set before you life and death. Now choose life. Choose Jesus, the abundant life that he has for you. Choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. This is the life I'm talking about, the Lord. So again, I think practically, how does this life look in everyday living? Knowledge, gratitude, and obedience result in life. Knowledge of God, gratitude for all that God is, and obedience to God. And I have the error that goes back to knowledge because as you experience obedience to God, guess what? You grow in your knowledge of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is asked, you know, he, he said this, he said, he said, my very food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That was his food, that was his life, to do the will of his father. That was his life. So knowledge of God, knowing him in his word, as we get a knowledge of God, we grow in our gratitude for God. And this results in obedience, and that is life. Obeying the commands of God gives you the life that he wants you to have. Again, we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant, the covenant of love, the covenant of Christ. So knowledge, gratitude, obedience, life. 
The Lord is your life. Knowing the Lord. Gratitude towards the Lord. Obedience to the Lord. That is life. And then you get wholeness, wellness, prosperity, thriving, harmony, welfare, and tranquility. Those are the manifestations. Those are what you get as a result of this life in Christ through obedience to the commandments. So life, the life that God wants you to have, grows as you obey the commands of God. And very simply, this is the end of the year, so I always think of, okay, the next year, one of my resolutions is I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more, right? Are you guys all there with me? We have on our website, still we have a resource tab that you can go through, and there are many ways to read the Bible through in a year, many Bible plans that you can read through. They're all over the internet. Most of you have apps, a Bible app that tells you how to read through the Bible. So we don't put written information out there anymore because there's so much information on the internet. But that being said, if you would like to read the Bible through coming up in the next year, and you know how to do it, see myself or Jason afterwards, and we'll help you out with that. The knowledge of God, reading your Bible. Friends, you will not have the life that God wants you to have if you don't read your Bible and you don't pray. You're not going to have it. You will not have it. You will not experience it. I will be dogmatic about that. If you come to me struggling and you need counseling, the first question I'm going to ask you, maybe not the first, but it's going to be pretty high up on the order there, is do you read your Bible? You guys need to dust off your apps. Move the app, the Bible app, from the, the last screen up to the front, your home screen. You want life, don't you? You want life? All of you want life. Jesus has the very words of life. They're found in the Bible. Read them. Thirdly, your life affects others. Now, I'm going to address the issue of children, but it can be anybody in your, in your sphere of influence. Anybody in your workplace, your extended family, your, your circle of friends, those people that you rub shoulders with, your life affects others. What type of life do you project to the world? Again, if you put on trial for being a Christian, would there be any evidence to find you guilty? Would anybody know that you're different than anybody else in the world? Do you walk around like Eeyore all the time with a cloud raining over top of you because the circumstances of your life are so bad and nobody has it worse than you? And nobody can see the joy of Christ in you because you're so fixated on yourself and your own problems? The way that you approach life affects others. The way that life is manifest in your life affects others. Right in the text there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that what? Your children may live. Now again, there is a sense here in this text where it is like literal life, right? Because if the mom and dads disobeyed God and his commands, then curses were coming and, and people were dying. Literally dying. But I think you understand the principle that I'm drawing from this. The sin struggles, parents, listen to me. The sin struggles in your life aren't occurring in a vacuum. Your kids see that. They're affected by that. 
your obedience to God and His commandments and the life that flows from that affect your children. And it's not just at that moment, but it's into the future. So your life does affect others. Sometimes the only biblical God that anybody will ever see is from your life speaking into the lives of others. In 1 John chapter 4, as John is exhorting us to love in tangible ways, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. In other words, God is manifest in us. God is projected into the world. The love of God is seen by others through your life as His love is made complete in you. Your life affects others, right? You don't exist in a vacuum. As I have matured, as our kids have grown older, I see in their lives the effects of my sin struggles. The ways in which I have not obeyed the commands of God. But I also see, praise God, the way that we have obeyed the commands of God, that that has affected them. And because we have constantly put the life of Christ before them, they know Christ. And from what I can tell, they're trying to follow Christ. Your life matters. Fourthly, as we, as we wrap things up, life can be diminished and damaged and destroyed when we focus on things of life, the things of life, instead of the giver of life. Life can be diminished, damaged, and destroyed when we focus on the things of life instead of the giver of the life, right? So as, as, as Moses was addressing the people, there were people there that were listening to the commands of God, and they're hearing, okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, that sounds good. Yeah, I agree with you. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But in their mind, they're thinking, but it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to kind of go way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the, the end is death. And you can see there, the Lord doesn't think very highly of people who hear his revelation, who acquiesce and agree to his revelation, yet they turn the blind eye to it and do what they want to do. So we do that in pretty outstanding ways, and sometimes we do that in subtle ways. And so the question here is, is, in what ways are you seeking manifestations of life instead of seeking the giver of life? What are you pursuing on a daily basis? Are you pursuing God or all the entrapments of the life that we live in? Now, I get it. You have to live life. You have to take care of kids. You have to go to work. You have to go here and go there and, you know, and there's a lot of energy and time that goes into that. But is the foundation of all your activity the Lord of life and obedience to Him, and then your actions in the other areas of life flow from that? It's so easy to get distracted. I mean, specifically with just, you know, things, possessions, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, security, comfort, relationships. No, that's not what life is. Life is about loving God and obeying His commandments. In Luke chapter 12, 22, 
Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body about what you will wear, for life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Right? So we have to live in a sin-cursed world. We have to work. We have to take care of our families. And it's so easy to fall prey to pursuing those manifestations of life instead of life itself. Pursuit of the manifestations of life is not the same as pursuing life. So you know your situation. You know how you've lived over the past year, two years. You know the ways that you have maybe subtly disobeyed the commands of God or just outright disobeyed the commands of God, and you see the path that that's taken you and how that's damaged your life, how that's damaged the life of those around you. Praise be to God that life can be restored through repentance. Through repentance. And we see that in the text in chapter 30. In verse 2 he says, When you and your children return to the Lord. Actually in chapter 30 verses 1 through 10, that concept of return in the original language is used 10 times. It's a big deal in the Bible, return. Return means to turn back to God from your own way. There's a way that seemed right to me, but I turned from that way back to God. I repented. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, you return, you repent. God always allows for repentance. The only time it's too late to repent is when your heart stops beating, friends. I say this often, you may feel like you're 10,000 miles away from God, but you're only one step back to God. I love how Luke records in the book of Acts as he's pleading with uh, the people there, repent, turn to the Lord your God so that times of refreshing may come. David understood the value of repentance, right? In Psalm 32, one of those psalms connected with his great sin as he sinned in adultery with Bathsheba, as he had Uriah killed, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 David says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David was harboring that sin. He was confronted about the sin, and he immediately turned back to God, and he had that refreshing from the God. Maybe you need to do that today. Confess your sins to God. He is faithful and just. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He wants you to have life. So as you look out at 2024, what do you see? Do you see despair? I hope that's not the case. Do you see anxiety? Maybe there's apathy. I didn't mention that one earlier. Things have never changed. They're not going to change anymore. I'm just going to live the same way. What does it matter? Or do you have hope in the words of the Bible? As God says, choose life. As Jesus says, I've come that you might have abundant life. What do you see as you look out at 2024? Hopefully, you see life. There's a poster at work. Every time I uh, get on the elevator with somebody to take them downstairs to the therapy room, I, I see this. 
And uh, it's, it's kind of struck me to the core. And it says this. He says, don't live the same year 70 times, 75 times and call it life. This guy, Robin Sharma, he's a motivational speaker. Whatever, okay? Don't live the same year 75 times and call it life. What do you need to change as you look at it 2024? What things are damaging, detracting from, destroying the life that God wants for you? How do you need to obey better? Confess your sin, repent, turn to God. God wants you to have life. He wants you to have the godly and right enjoyment of all that is good. He wants you to have wholeness, wellness, prosperity, thriving, harmony, welfare, and tranquility. So see before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. Keep His commands and decrees. Choose life. That's my prayer. I hope it's yours as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving your word for us that 